Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great today. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm uh, I'm actually really excited. We've been doing this podcast for over a year now. Can you believe that? I cannot believe that. This is uh, a journey that really had no idea where it was going, and I can't believe that we've done over 52 episodes to date. That is just crazy. Yeah, and you know, I, when we started, I thought, probably going to burn out on this. I wonder if we'll be able to keep doing it. But I got to say, at this point, I'm more excited about it than I was when we started. This has been so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have similar experience, too. I thought, God, are we going to be able to keep doing this? And every episode that we do and the more that we're doing on Frisbee Guru and all these different initiatives that we're doing has just got me more excited about the future of of where we're going with this. So, let me ask you this question. Do you have a favorite or maybe a couple of favorite uh, episodes from our podcast over the last year? That's a good question. There's so so many that I really enjoyed and, and I've been learning a ton too. But I would say I loved our initial episode with Bill Wright and the birth of the Coloradicals. I, I loved hearing how that came to be and how the Coloradicals formed as a team. That was one of my favorites. Do you have a favorite that you have right off the top of your head? You know what? I'm going to go with the first episode of Dougie Fresh's Top 10. Uh, it was a really fun conversation to just reminisce and talk about our favorite players and uh, compare notes. And yeah, I, I enjoyed that episode as well. And, you know, I've really also enjoyed, you know, just learning about the history and the Stork episodes. Really have enjoyed listening to Joey Hudoklin's journey and Donnie Rhodes' journey and the Velasquez brothers' journey. It's really kind of amazing all of these journeys that we've got to share with everybody. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's cool uh, is how much the freestyle Frisbee has touched these people's lives. I, you know, I was wondering, maybe I'm the only one who is this crazy about freestyle Frisbee, but it's not me. It's all of us are just, we love it so much. And it really, it really changes us. And it really, um, it really gives us friends for life. It seems. Yeah, that is so true. And I'm talking to one of those people who I feel like is a friend for life. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for this year anniversary uh, shout out. You're very welcome. And thank you very much to Randy. I definitely consider you a friend for life. Uh, <laughs> so with that, why don't we uh, jump into this episode with Stork? He's going to be telling us a little bit about the origins of Octad. So let's uh, let's hear from Stork. Oh, Octad, Octad. Oh, that's right. Well, but, see, no, but see, I'm still on target. I'm still, <laughs> still around the same time. <laughs> is when we started around that time is when we started flying this magazine. Yeah. See, flying this magazine. And the reason that Octad was structured as it was is because I brought to it the decathlon mentality of track and field. That is the multiple events that we thought, well, there can be these various disciplines. And so I think in that first the eight events probably were distance. I think we maybe had two accuracies, trick throw accuracy and regular accuracy, MTA, throw, run, and catch, golf, eastern trick catch. The fr that, was, that was our placeholder for freestyle in that, in that first year. 
I don't think we did Discathon yet. Discathon didn't come in until the next. I I didn't I didn't start pushing that until I had. How could that be? Because I because I first started pushing Discathon when I had been to the Big Belgian Open, and they were playing speed golf where you started on the first tee and you played the course as fast as you could. And I thought, well, that's interesting. It kind of made me think of the uh, Winter Olympics event biathlon, you know, where you cross-country ski <laughs> and then lie down and try to shoot, <laughs> you know, which is the world's worst combination of activities. Well, not the worst. I can think of a lot of party, party situations <laughs> that are worse. Well, you know, if Tom Baudet didn't like golf, I'm sure he didn't like speed golf, you know? Uh, well, you know, probably it's executive golf. You know, I've only got about 50 <laughs> minutes here. I got a meeting at four. But but I came back to to Lacey Park and I had my peeps, you know, the the Duvall uh, brothers and my employees and the San Marino Frisbee Club. And so we worked for a couple of weeks on how can we do this? And in the beginning, again, Mr. Mr. Foresight, I had that somebody would run along with a clicker and count the number of throws, you know, so. So every time anyone would ever run discathon, you also had to find some fool who was willing to run the same distance clicking. And so at the end of about a day of that, we said, you know, that's not going to be it. Uh, so let's go back to the drawing board. Then we did it a little bit like um, the Paralympics. If you follow them, I mean, it's kind of wow. Okay. So they, these guys go out and race and they all have various levels of disability. And then they finish and you don't know whether to clap or not. And they go into the shed and they do the statistics for about 15 minutes. And they come out and tell you who won because each person is handicapped by the amount of range of motion they have or whatever. And then they, they later announce who won. I said, well, that's not working either. I want people to know when to applaud. It's not going to be that we're going to ordinate the number of throws and the, and the time. Uh, and so that's when we finally morphed it into to a race and whoever finishes first, they're your winner. But that didn't happen until um, that wasn't in the first octet. So there must have been some other event. I can easily find it. But there were eight events. And the theory was that it would be like the decathlon. And I specifically wanted to spread the challenge so that it would fit with uh, a range of abilities and appetites. Uh, my, I think my mantra at the time was something to offend everyone. You know, so there, there's got to be some event that, that you don't like. As I remember, Ralph Williamson all, uh, used to tell me, I don't like anything you've invented that starts with T, you know, so or was it, maybe it was D. Oh, yeah, D. Discathon, DDC, distance, you know, none of those. <laughs> so <laughs> so what did the acronym OCTAD stand for? It's it's actually not an uh, an acronym. No, no, it's an eight uh, an an object with eight aspects, octo, octad. Ah, okay. What did uh, what did what did you call it? An oh yeah, an acronym. Yeah, it it each of those letters did not represent a word. It's an eight aspect thing. <laughs> an, oct <laughs> an octad. Okay, so tell us about Eastern Trick Catch in this octad format. How did it? come about and how did it play out uh dad and i dad and i developed it in our uh, backyard in shippensburg and we played it for uh what did michael gladwell say you had to do something for ten thousand hours to master it i'm sure we were well over that 
I mean, we every night we would we would throw, we would throw it back and forth, and it was that you got um, you got a, a point for a catch, you got two points for a trick catch, which was between the legs, behind the back, behind the head, or on the finger, and then you got three points for one of those catches when you're off the ground. So if you leaped and caught it behind your head, then you got three. And then we would just scale it back and forth. And we were maybe, I don't know, 15 yards apart, something like that. And we would zip it back and forth. I mean, I guess we were trying to be offensive about the throwing, but that wasn't a big focus. I mean, you didn't owe the guy a great throw, but it was really just back and forth and working on consistent trick catching, ideally off the ground. And, and incidentally, that's kind of what freestyle play was for me up through, I mean, my years up in Chautauqua, New York, when I was teaching tennis and playing Frisbee in the afternoons, the New York state championships, those first championships, that was all, that's what we were doing. When we were out on the green showing off, we were, we were doing leaping, leaping trick catches. That was it. Big throws and skips and, and all that kind of thing. But Eastern trick catch was in the octet and into the meet come Dave Johnson, uh, Victor Malafronte, John Kirkland, names that, that I mostly just heard about before. And so they came into our eight event format and I introduce them to each one of the events things like thrower and catch i don't think that had been competed anywhere other than berkeley uh, big game week at stanford i think that was the only other place that they had done it so i mean i think we set four four or five world records that that afternoon so it was it was new 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 but people came over they kind of gathered around it was kind of an amazing thing because there were a lot of early decisions made there like for distance people gathered around and i'm going okay uh Folks, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we ought to set the standard that for distance that we always check the wind and throw to the best of our ability, set up the field so we're throwing directly into the wind. Uh, murmur, murmur, murmur. Hey, no, no, no. Listen, hear me out here. Hear me out. The reason for that is because then uh, we won't have to worry about wind speed. Uh, like track and field has all these problems with wind speed. We'll set up into the wind. The best conditions will be dead air. And we'll just throw into the wind because, anyway, I, I've thought it out. I think that's best. And, like, my first mutiny, people went, ah, that's bullshit. I mean, it's no fun to throw in. We haven't been practicing into the wind. We want to throw, throw with the wind. Okay, 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 okay. We got eight events to handle. If you want to throw with the wind, we'll throw with the wind. But I'm warning you about, I don't know, 45 years from now, 45 years from now, there will be a big event, say, in, I don't know, Prim, Nevada, out on the salt flats, and they'll catch a big-ass wind, and somebody will throw a quarter mile, and then people will be saying, that's bullshit. So I'm just telling you now, that's what might happen. But okay, we'll do it, because it's more fun. I admit it's more fun, but mark my words, that could happen. So anyway... <laughs> So we throw it away. Hey, just want to give a shout out to Rob McLeod, a.k.a. Frisbee Rob, for his donation to Frisbee Guru. It's nice to know that folks value what we're doing and want to be a part of it. If you value what we do, too, feel free to go to our website and donate.
Now back to the show. So I have a question just to just interject here real quick. So how did you get the word out for people to come join and play? I mean, you didn't have the internet. Well, how was, how was communication happening? The mimeograph machine. We, we were sending out our flying disc world magazine to, I want to say maybe, maybe, I don't think we ever broke a hundred subscribers but it was probably in the 70s, 80s, and, and there was a lot of hand around. That's what killed us. That's what killed us. Hand around killed us. I mean, if we could have gotten to 300, I mean, we'd still be in business. Yeah, that People friends and family to... plan didn't really work for you, did it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so Flying Disc World Magazine was the vehicle for getting the word out. I, I got it. Primarily. Primarily. And, and there were only so many pockets. I mean, the thing you got to remember is we knew everybody who was into it. That is, or we knew somebody who knew somebody. It, it wasn't like there were a whole bunch of uh, outlier people who were way into it that, that we had missed. I mean, we, we through those connections, we felt pretty sure that we had let everybody who cared to be serious about Frisbee at the time uh, know. I, I guess we had, I don't know, 30-some entrants maybe in that first thing, but they were all substantial folks. I mean, the Rochester cl- Club came down, Korea, uh, Palmieri, who incidentally could not throw worth a damn. I mean, he was just terrible. And I mean, I, I saw him and I had heard about him and everything. And I thought, oh, man, this is so sad because this guy will never be he'll he'll never be any good ever, ever be any good. And yet he's so into it. It's just, it's a shame. Um, <laughs> uh, years later, I'm sure he, he kicked my ass uh, a number of times in distance. Uh, so anyway, it was a heavy crowd. But anyway, back to my intro of, uh, of Eastern Trick Catch. I explained the rules to Victor uh, and Kirkland and Johnson. And, and these guys are all like, you know, they're, they're cannons. They're cannons. Because just a quick return on Victor is that I was telling you about uh, the tipping, the Alan Blake tipping at IFT. But that was not the most mind-blowing thing at IFT. As we were driving up and camping our various times, we practiced each time we stopped. And we were, we were pretty sure that the key to guts was to throw when they weren't looking. You know, so you would kind of sidle up to the line, not in quick throw, you know, and oh, damn, he was ready. Okay, so we, we had no idea, you know, how it was done. So we, we get there, we get out of the car. The first throw we see, the very first throw we see is Victor Malafronte throwing his macho sidewinder gut shot. So we see arguably the best sidearm on the planet ever as the first one we see. And we're just, oh, my God. I mean, I, we have these little pansy backhands that we throw, you know, and, and here's this macho sidewinder that is just slicing through the air. Wow. Uh, oh my. I mean, we were, we were just so blown away that you, this very same Victor is now there listening to my description of the nice little game that dad and I are playing in our backyard. Wouldn't you like to play Victor? Oh my God. Well. The first game I had with Victor, I mean, I hardly even saw the disc. 
you know, I'm ready to do my my little pirouette and jump behind the head. Oh man, here comes this dipping this dipping sidearm, which I was lucky to even see. <laughs> there so, was no spirit of the game involved at that point. <laughs> well, I mean, it was. I clearly uh, said the rules, and and then I believe we had him step back about ten more steps. Uh, same result. I I. I guess we had a winner. I could look in there and see it was probably either Victor or John, but that was the last time after remember those, those 10,000 hours that I invested in the game. I never ever played another game of Eastern trick catch in my life. After that game, they broke the game and stomped on it and smashed it into the ground. That was the end of it. So was that considered like the first freestyle event, as I say in quotes, or was there? No, no. I don't think no. anybody considers that the first freestyle. They, the Toronto, the Toronto event was the, ah, was yep. the first freestyle. That's right. Yeah. And, oh. and uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, now to, <clears throat> to my marginal credit, I did not hold on saying, Hey, Hey, we're going to, we're going to morph these rules until Eastern trick catch survives. I just said, that's it. We're moving on. Wow. That is wild. <laughs> <sighs> so, um, one of the octads or Jersey jams, I think, uh, Jens Velasquez was talking about his first freestyle experience. And I think he, his first partner was Richie Smith's and Richie Smith's had brought out the nail delay at that octad tournament so it must have been the following octad tournament after that and then there was also we were talking with them about you playing with irv kalb and winning is that correct am i am i and recollecting you thinking, and you were thinking how the hell could that have been <laughs> yeah <laughs> let me get this straight you're playing against richie and and carrie and peter blurm and all these other guys and you win no, um, that's not what I was meaning. Well, I was that's what I think when I think back there. Um, you know, the, it it it's very interesting that the one of the one of the things that we haven't talked much about the the middle of the country, uh, because there was well, Aces, Highland Avenue Aces, but also there in the middle of the country, uh in the Chicago area was uh Bruce Koger, Chow Rotman, and uh Jose Montalvo. And they were they were big. I mean they were the they, along with uh, like John Conley and and Al, uh, Alan Blake, they were kind of the the Midwest freestyle pod, if you will, in that time. Jose's thing, and I'm I'm terrible at the sequence uh, of events, but I think I maybe saw Jose play with his stick. He had a stick that he used, and I think he played with it maybe in Toronto. I think I, I think I saw it in Toronto because in Toronto, the aces came, he came, I played with Coger. Uh, that's the thing. That was the move that uh, Charles Tips in Frisbee by the Masters wrote as a C shift uh, move was when I guess it was that I threw to Bruce. Bruce tipped for a fairly long time, maybe 10 uh, and I came down, leaped over him, and and caught uh, my own throw. My own throw. If, if, if I went too fast for you there, you understand. I threw it. I also caught it. 
That's mind-blowing. Mind <laughs> Throw, run, and catch right there. Yeah, right. The the game for people with no friends. Um, <laughs> it, it, hi, guy. Hey, you 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 want do you want to throw? No, no, I'm practicing. Okay, all right, thanks. Anyway, I think he may have used it there. It inspired me. I came home and I thought I like the idea. Especially what I like is his ability to do the rim work with it. He wasn't delaying with it, but he was he was doing a lot of rim work with it, and maybe some even behind his back. Uh, but he would catch it on this stick and then zing it out. And I liked the way he could do that uh, that feed with it. And so that's when I started thinking about, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to see if I can get some surface, slippery surface like that to put on my finger. And I, I came up with the thimble, which I taped onto on the ring finger. And that was, that was my deal. The, again, back to the sociology of, of learning. And I, and I think we established this relatively well, uh, maybe Carrie could, uh, could elaborate on it more, but, but I'm pretty sure that Carrie came to that Jersey jam able to delay probably as well as anybody, maybe better than anybody. Uh, you know, Freddie obviously was delaying as well, but as hard as it is to believe, Carrie Colmar could not consistently get, oh, I'm, I'm mixing things up. It's the airbrush that, that I want to get to. He, they were airbrushing really well. And I saw the, the the New York people airbrushing at Rochester prior, and I really liked that. But nobody could consistently get it up into airbrush attitude. Kerry Colmar was having trouble getting the disc consistently into airbrush attitude. <laughs> Impossible. I mean, you, you can hardly even imagine that, but that's what the thimble allowed me to do. I could take it in, zing it out into airbrush attitude, brush, 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 chase it, leap, catch it. And I was able to integrate those moves. And that's how I won that particular contest because I had revealed the thimble for the first time and done these tricks that then also integrated into these brushing moves. And that won the day when there were, I'm sure, a good many other people there who were more technically advanced than I was. Uh, I was slow to the party in terms of learning delay and tipping. Uh, I did eventually. And by the time in 75, when Irv and I won Canada, AFDO, and uh, Rose Bowl in that year, then we had, we had a routine that was a solid one. I mean, we were playing against Kirkland and Malafronte, hot from Trotters. And obviously, if you've seen that film, they, they were good. Uh, so we must have had something. I, I don't know what it was, but it was it was good enough to win those three biggies. And Irv was tremendous. I mean, he really was. Um, and what we've heard is that the doctor operates and the stork delivers. That uh, was the division of labor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dr. Irv Kalb is the doctor. And of course, you're the stork. So, yeah. I love that little tidbit about Dr. Irv being the one who operates and Stork is the one who delivers. And I think really what I love the most is just how Stork tells a story. He's such a good storyteller. He's such a great storyteller. And he's also got such a funny, such a sense of humor that 
he even caught us off guard a couple times during the interview. We're like, are you joking? What's going on here? Oh, okay. And I'll give a little teaser. The next episode with Stork, we'll learn where he actually got the name Stork. So on that note, I just want to uh, talk a little bit about our Patreon launch. Uh, we launched a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's been very successful. We have a number of new patrons who are supporting what we do. And so we want to say thank you all very much. We really appreciate your support. That's what helps keep the lights on around here. So thank you very much. Yes, indeed. And Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, shooting the frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee.